Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, back here for part two of the defense against the Bengals and that miserable uh, offense against the Bengals in that miserable Week 18 game. We did talk a fair amount about the defense because the focus of the show has been what's different in the wild card game from Week 18. Jordan Coe, here to talk to me about it. Jordan, how are you doing? Good, Ken. Glad to be back here. Jordan, well-known from Raven's Situation Room. He does with Gabe Ferguson on the uh, uh, filmstudybaltimore.com. So please give that a try. And he's at Raven's Sit Room on Twitter. Uh, so, Jordan, regarding you know the first episode, we did talk about a lot of things in particular that the Ravens could do differently to help them win this game. And, you know, the Ravens, you made the point that that the Bengals won this game 27 to 16 in a game that was, well, you make the point. I, I, I don't want to make it for you. Yeah. In a game that they were gifted a touchdown in the end zone on a really, really particularly terrible coaching decision. I think some poor fourth down decision metrics were made by the Ravens in this game. They weren't kind of, they weren't going at it at the same approach they might in a playoff game. And I think on top of that, you've got a lot, a lot more players coming back for ball. So even outside of scheme, you've got a lot more players being plus added to the the ledger of talents for the Ravens, where you have a major minus coming onto the Cincinnati side if Kappa doesn't play. And it sounds like from all intents and purposes, Kappa is probably done for the year, but certainly not going to be ready. And even if he does play in this game, going to be at much less than 100% overall. But just just looking at the scales from that perspective overall, that what Marcus Peters brings um, from a ball hawking, you know, takeaway perspective, right? Um, what that might look like when you get Andrews and Zeitler and Dobbins. That that I, I don't think that can be understated about the value of Dobbins, Andrews, and Zeitler, and what that can bring to even an Anthony Brown led offense overall. Um, right. And so, to me, you throw those like you just throw those factors into the weight overall, and this feels like you know it, it felt like. 
you add those things in, it should have looked a lot more like the 1917 game that the Ravens won in the first go around, you know, with Lamar against Cincinnati overall. Um, I just, you know, and I think that the Ravens counters to what Cincinnati are, are going to be capable of being able to do in this game are to their advantage as well. If, if Cincinnati goes lighter, um, you know, I think Baltimore is going to be able to take advantage of that. Okay, that's that's uh, you know you you bring up a number of certainly interesting points, and the Ravens certainly do they they played the game a lot less to win this last week than the Bengals did. I think we'd all agree with that, and they made some dumb mistakes on the field that added to it. Of course, the Bengals did not convert all their opportunities either in the game. And all I'm doing is I'm taking you know obviously I want the Ravens to win this game, and I want to believe that the advantages that they did not lean on in this first game were all leading up to a whole different strategy and set of results in this wild card game. But the Bengals missed an easy 26 yard touchdown pass on an overthrow from Burrow to Higgins where Worley fell down. Uh, they got it on the next play anyway, same, same distance on a pass. The, ne- the, the next drive, sorry, not the next drive, but later in the game, Jamar chase dropped the ball in the end zone that he catches most of the time. Worley was back and had his hand up, but he didn't touch the ball or anything like that. He never found the ball, in fact, in the air. Um, and, and the ball just went right through Chase's hand. Uh, those are a couple of big misses from the Bengals in this game. And while they did sit back there and throw the football as much as the Ravens did, which was way too much in this game, they threw it, I think, 40, 40 or 42 times. Might have been 42, including sacks. But but anyway, that was the, that was the idea. Um they allowed Burrow to take six quarterback hits in this game. So they were really trying to win this game. That was a function of trying to win this game, trying to get an improved seed, trying to make sure they avoided the flip um, as much as anything. But I, I, I wouldn't, I, I can't bring myself to believe that the Ravens, the, the, the Bengals have no dry powder in this game. I don't, I don't want to underestimate our opponent like that. Well, and I, it's, and again, so, and that's why I use the scales analogy to not say that there's nothing that could be added to Cincinnati side. But if you just look at kind of the initial iteration of what that looks like a Marcus Peters, who hasn't played for a few weeks and should be fully healthy. Andrews, even, even the value add to some of the Ravens players getting the week off um, yes. and what that potentially could add for them as well. And Cincinnati choosing not to do that. T Higgins took a, a big hit. Was that from Worley in this, in this game? Um I think it was might Worley. have been Worley did have a big hit on a screen pass. I'm not sure yeah. if that was him or not. Yeah, and I, and it was Higgins, and he went down. He came out of the game. He came back into the game. But th- those kind of things add up. You for Higgins for a guy that's been banged up earlier this year, you want to be able to let them take those plays off. Joe Burrow took all those hits. There, that adds up in each one of those quarterback hits adds up in his head and what's going on in his processing and what he's deciding he's doing to prep for this week. Um, you know, I, I just think it's not. Complete advantage to the Ravens, but on balance, I think advantage to Ravens to the Ravens as they head into this game. We, in in a lot of ways, your offensive line is as weak as your weakest player. Losing Kappa is a pretty significant loss for the Bengals because he's their best lineman. At least that's the way PFF's got it graded. We'll, we can we can go by that. In this case, uh, we saw what Froholt being added for the Steelers, how that um, hurt their line. At the, it was Steelers Browns. Browns had Froholt right. Yeah, because they moved him to center, and what what Froholt did for them was a was a was a real issue just in terms of like Hamilton making a making a move on Froholt uh, at one point in that Browns game. Uh, I, I'm seeing this as a big opportunity for the three techs on the Ravens to get that head on advantage. I think that is something they will go after defensively to 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 try and go after 
that particular lineman, whoever it ends up being. And, and I, I, it, the other part about that is that they are then one less fewer, you know, an injury to anybody else on the offensive line for Cincinnati is going to be yeah, good point. treacherous for them in this game. You know, not that losing cap in the game wouldn't have been a bad thing. Um, the Ravens, you know, are bringing back a lot of guys. Obviously, if they lose anyone, it's going to hurt as well. But bringing back some of these players, I just, you know, Andrews is a guy, for example, who really seemed like he was struggling in the middle of the year, really injury related. That it, he, he just wasn't right. They were trying to win games. He's a gutsy guy. He was trying to play through it. That extra week off for a guy like Mark Andrews, who, like, I don't care who was playing quarterback this week. I think Mark Andrews is going to have 14 catches. <laughs> it, it just it would, would not surprise me to see a huge volume going his way in this game, no matter what. And and so being able to have him be a week healthier makes a big difference, I think. Well, at, uh, we certainly got to hope that that Andrews is a is a big difference maker and hopefully opens up the field for some other players as well. Uh, the thing I, th- I want to see out of the Ravens is a lot of play action. In this, I expect to see ten from the from the Cincinnati. We talked about that in the first episode. By the way, if you didn't download the first episode, I always say this every week, but go ahead and do that now. There's some great discussion in there with Jordan, and in particular, the ten personnel discussion. I'm not just going to reiterate here, but I think it is something the Bengals can bring and really stress what the Ravens pro- uh, provide or offer at cornerback uh, to to try and defend that. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see if they uh, if they take that risk. And you made the point. I think that's pretty interesting about what that might mean for David Ajabo. Whether that's a good sign that he might be active for the game if the Bengals are more likely to play some ten. So there might be some gamesmanship around that, or some some other roster compromises made it made made it. Yeah, to try and get Ajabo on the field. Yeah, I mean, and like just thinking naturally about how I would respond to a 10 personnel and what a Ravens race car package of a Jabo, OA, Bowser, um, and Houston. Pierre Paul or Houston, yeah. Houston, Houston, not Pierre Paul, not Pierre Paul. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Houston on the field together is, uh, that is, that's a menacing proposition. Matt BK had a a couple really nice pressures in this game. The short throw um, Mm -hmm. to Jamar Chase in this game in particular was short because Matt BK was right in Burrow's face. And if they can get in his head a little bit early in the game with some of these pressures, you know, I think that's worth a, a couple early long runs on Mixon's part to really to try and rattle rattle mix or rattle burrow in the process of of kind of what's going to happen in this game. Yeah, they'll need a point of emphasis this week to make sure they can change out of that if they give up some first downs in in race car because they'll have to get those players off the field on first down, which is that's something that Dean Pease was always afraid of such alignments. He didn't even like playing dime because of the need to exchange a linebacker back on for safety after that. Imagine, you know, you really have to get two outside linebackers out of playing the middle of the middle of the defense. Uh, on that first down, but but the Ravens are, are certainly capable of doing it. They just are. It's more it's more fun to be able to do it when you got the lead by twenty points and and the other teams trying to catch up. Yeah. All right, outstanding stuff. And and please go back to that first episode and, and take a listen. I need to thank our sponsor uh, now, and that's uh, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Uh, please give their product a try. They've been very good to us. I'd like to move on. Let's talk some offensive line now, if that's okay, because this was not a particularly good game for the offensive line. Yeah. I, I, you know, when I took a look at it, I thought watching the game, Ronnie Stanley did not have, you know, one of the better performances that we've seen from him. Um, And he certainly has played a lot better this year. I was a little surprised to see Stanley play. I think he played almost all of this game overall Mm -hmm. in total. Um, And I was surprised that, you know, for somebody that they might want to try and keep healthy, um, he seems, you know, 
right at the top of the list. So he must have been comfortable enough to continue to go out there and play. And that's a great sign to see. Um, but it did seem like he struggled in this game from from what I, from what I was looking at. What you know, what were you seeing, Ken? Yeah, I, absolutely. It really wasn't a good finale for, for him versus Hendricks. And two and a half pressures, one and a half sacks. Uh, he had seven missed blocks in the game. That's very unstanley like But he was getting bowled a lot by Hendrickson. Straight up bull rush sometimes. Sometimes he's beating him on the edge. But uh, Stanley is a little uncomfortable with him. And I think he would have done better trying to protect Lamar's blind side there, which would have resulted in some scrambles out of pressure that probably would have resulted in a higher grade for Stanley. And that's kind of been his history with Lamar is Lamar takes a bump very well from the backside, moves around the pocket effortlessly, has a better sense of when that pressure is coming from behind him and uh, and delivers the football. So uh, it's a shame, but uh, but Stanley, not a great game here. Did get replaced for the last several snaps, uh, the last two drives actually by McCarry, uh, which constitute, I think, six scored snaps. So uh, three blocks in level two, no pancakes, no pulls in this game for Stanley, which is a little unusual. They didn't, they didn't uh, do the same amount of countering from left to right. Uh, no highlights as I scored it. Just a low C after adjustment. Hendrickson is a good is a good opponent, so he got some adjustment for that. But he also didn't really didn't really have a, a game that's consistent with what Stanley has been doing. You know, in, in the way that a left tackle or any tackle, you know, or offensive lineman is going to battle against a specific defensive end. You know, do you think that some of this was gamesmanship on Stanley's part to try and? see what Huntley's react or Hendrickson's reactions were going to be. So he was better prepared on tape for what he thought situationally might be to come. Uh, boy, I mean, that is next level gamesmanship in terms of this. I just, I don't really see that as being possible enough. If it's Ronnie Stanley is the perfect player to do it because there's no contract involved. This particular game will never affect another dollar that Ronnie Stanley earns his next contract. It'll be for whatever it is because of the way he's played in the last year of this contract, not in, you know, probably all the interview, health in general, but, but, but not how he played in this particular game, certainly against Hendrickson. So he would, he would have the luxury of trying something like that, but then you still got to go through the other component, which is, do I really want to look bad on tape in front of the fans, you know, give up an extra chance for a pressure or a sack just to kind of bait Hendrickson into something different so that I can beat him and then in the wild card and, you know, we can have this feel good story. And, and I just, I don't see players you know, playing, you know, four dimensional chess like that, trying to, you know, get ahead of their opponents the same way. But, you know, I, there is some of that going on at all times versus any opponent. I just don't think they ever really like, play to lose and play to bait at the same level we're kind of making it out here well and you know we heard Ngakawe, for example really frustrated with with his time with the ravens because he felt like he didn't get enough snaps there weren't un, it wasn't there wasn't the ability for him to be consistently setting up what he thought would be successful in in how he wanted to attack you know an offensive tackle and so i think of it more like that where not okay stanley is gonna i'm gonna concede you know <laughs> the left side of the rush, because then, you know, I'm going to be really strong on that otherwise, but just more like, I'm not there, you know, I'm going to eliminate jump sets. I'm not going to do any of the tricky stuff that I usually do on a snap by snap basis, which is nuanced and really different from what hmm. we see as fans. I'm just going to be vanilla in what my approach is in this. And that's going to result in him probably having a little bit better of a game than he might have, but it's going to allow me to have all these tricks for what my counters might have been over the course of the game. Cause there's no reason to exhaust those. And what made me think about this was you saying that there were no pools for Ronnie Stanley. Yeah. Where there's so in some ways, and 
I can't believe I'm going to give Greg Roman some credit here. But <laughs> I knew you're going this way. In some ways, Greg Roman gets credit for saying, okay, we're not going to pull Stanley. We're not going to show what those block patterns look like. We're not going to show what he's, we're trying to do with Stanley on those pools. There's no way that Stanley has no pools in this playoff game. I, I would, I would easily take the over on one half of Stanley pools. So there is some of that already going on, at least from a play calling perspective in some regard. That that's a very, very astute and valid point is that, you know, you don't need to show every power run concept you have. And so Roman holding that back is, is possible. And it is possible, you know, like a savvy veteran like Stanley could be saying, let's just, let's eliminate that particular move. They've even talked about it with the coaches beforehand as, as you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to use this particular punch or I'm not going to use this particular, uh, you know, it it is a possibility. I'll say that. Yeah, let, let's yeah. let's see. You know how it plays out, but I'm hoping that Stanley's performance and Hendrickson's a great player. So you yep. know, none of this is to take any of that away from him. But hopefully, you know, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of faith in the Ravens using kind of a counterpunch to this game where Cincinnati went all out and the Ravens obviously did not as kind of using that hopefully to, to their overall advantage. I just, I, I just, I don't want people to think that, you know, the Ravens played rope a dope here and they're going to come sure. off in the last 30 seconds of each round and destroy George Foreman. And if you're not old enough to, to remit, to know that reference, watch the rumble in the jungle. It's, it's something no sports fan should ever not have watched once. I probably watched it 50 times by now, but it's a, it's a great fight. How many times have you seen it, Jordan? I've seen it at least twice. Okay. You're so, a younger guy. You weren't alive at the time, too. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing that I'd say on this also is just like the the to to your point around. I, I don't think this is like rope a dope. It's a full on, hundred percent bait. This is really like a. There are are what six or seven plays over the course of a game that are the true influencing plays that are going to happen, right? And so we're talking about just balancing and shifting the scales a little bit, right? Like even mm-hmm. in this game going forward on that fourth and five where the Ravens didn't and running it on the play that they ended up giving up the touchdown in the end zone could have been all the difference in this game altogether. And that's just two plays. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if the, the balance of power in this game rests on eight to 10 plays and three of them turn out to be Stanley winning his reps because he set up Hendrickson in a way differently in this game that he wasn't ready for, that could be, it's very hard to see on tape, but very impactful in terms of the outcome that it might have. It may not also, you know, it also might not happen. <laughs> All, right. All right. So well, fair enough. It's, it's nice to think that could happen because it gives us that one extra way that the Ravens could could reasonably win this football game come Sunday. Exactly. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully we see a better performance from Stanley overall here. But, you know, what did you, what did you think of Ben Powers and, and what we got from him for a guy that, you know, was pretty maligned headed into yes. the season? A lot of fans, including myself. I'll raise my hand, including myself, did not want Sheepishly. him he just to be this, you know, to be the starting left guard for this team, and was a guy that it's it's really hard to envision what the offensive line would have ended up looking like without him. He's ended up playing every single snap the entire season, and for the bulk of the year, he led the the PFF guards in pass blocking, which is is nice to know. And by the way. I, I do my own offensive line scoring. I don't agree with PFF's methods across the board. We've talked about that a number of times on the show. And yet there is no other legitimate scoring that I can point to that's league-wide that allows me to compare offensive linemen. So I, I look at Powers. I know he's had a good pass-blocking year as I would score it, but he was in the number one pass-blocking guard for the bulk of the year uh, for PFF. This game dropped him out of that number one position to number two behind Joe Tooney. And that, that's a darn shame because that would have been a nice feather in his cap to, to – 
to take the free agency, frankly, here, because I don't think the Ravens have a chance to re-sign him. Um, but, he, but he took a step back. He gave up four and a half pressures in this game. Uh, Reader got him, I think, for two and a half of those. Sample and Carter each got him once. Uh, he finished second. I, I already mentioned that among all guards and pass blocking for the year on PFF. Four missed blocks in this game. Only one of those was a loss at the line of scrimmage. He's been doing a pretty good job on not losing blocks at the line of scrimmage. Now, of course, those five pressure events are also losses at the line of scrimmage. So don't let me, you know, make you think that it was all, you know, roses or not. But a lot of his his zeros that he's showing up with are missed poles. Uh, and I don't know what they're picking up on exactly, but Powers is, is having some trouble getting to the spot against other teams. And I don't think it's his speed, especially when you watch Cleveland pull and see how much slower he is. Um, Powers is, is just not getting to the spot as quickly as the defender is. So it might be something that's being given away about the Ravens scheme. He did go three for three in this game. I don't know if you saw the play, Jordan, but really interesting one. Uh, Hubbard went low on him. Powers was pissed about it. It's illegal to do that, by the way, uh, to cut block a pulling guard. And Hubbard went low and I, I he did the, I, oh, I must have slipped kind of thing. And, and Powers basically stood over him, first of all, as the play ran by him. And then he was he was very clearly pissed and had words with Hubbard after that play. Wait, Ken, are, are you implying that the Cincinnati Bengals players played dirty. did yep. anything <laughs> dirty in this game? Like they played the cleanest game that I've ever seen after the Ravens played the dirtiest game I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I will say I didn't see the play though. <laughs> blocking Bowser, and it was even hard to tell that it was Bowser, by the way, because you almost thought you never gonna look at his jersey the whole time. Blocking Bowser into the bench was a fantastic play. Okay. And the fact that the Ravens went over it after him made it a better play. And the only thing that didn't make it even better than that was the fact the Ravens didn't get penalized for it because they easily could have had a flag thrown. And that happened a couple of years ago. The Ravens were playing the Panthers and somebody, and I'm trying to remember who it was, big right tackle, it seems to be. I don't think it was, it wasn't Phillips. I don't think it was Howard. I'm trying to remember who it was, though. It was, it might have been Orlando Brown in one of his first one of his first games at right tackle in 18 um, pushed a guy into the um, yeah. Cause it would have they would have played the NFC South that year, pushed a guy into the, the Panthers bench and there was a retaliatory personal foul on the play. So not only is it, you know, one of these Michael Orr type push the guy over the fence thing, but also, you know, then somebody comes to his defense and it's 15 yards. You know, it's just, it, it was, that was a great play by the Bengals. It wasn't a dirty play in any way. What the Ravens did, was probably a little dirty after the fact, getting all over the guy. Uh, but he did also block him out of bounds a little bit in a way that if it was a quarterback, something would have been would have been flagged probably then. Uh, it was just it was good to see that that didn't go against the Ravens in that case. But you got to tip your hat to the to the Bengal lineman in that case. Well, and look, this is a chippy. It's a divisional game. It was a chippy game. I thought nothing that I don't think either team was quote unquote perfectly clean in this game overall but i thought the refs kept it mostly in check for what you would expect for this balance and for i i I don't understand why why cincinnati has all been out of shape about this and maybe it's the fans a little bit more than the players but the players were griping after the game about it and it's just like i can't remember we've seen some really dirty stuff happen between the Ravens and the Steelers. Really, really dirty mm-hmm. stuff on both sides. I, like, like this is, this is not exempting some of the things that the Ravens have done in those situations either. And after the game, neither team has ever complained about it. Like the game where 
Um, Todd Heap was clearly hurt, and Joey Porter just totally obliterated mm-hmm. him off the line of scrimmage. Total cheap shot. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the Ravens talking about it a single time, right? This is the kind of thing that you keep under your hat. You don't put in the media. Like I, I think that this, to a degree, puts the Bengals a little bit on notice from the league to say, hey, they're complaining about this kind of thing. We've got to watch out to make sure that something retaliatory doesn't happen so this game doesn't get out of control from kind of like being able to control it. And the Bengals totally gave up the nut in that regard by coming out and, and, and already being openly complaining. I, I don't understand it. Yeah, and I think that's true. And I think in in uh, the Ravens will get, you know, will get physical in this game because it's the Ravens' style. I mean, they play physical offensive line, bully ball. Uh, the defensive linemen, you know, are, are physical. The the secondary is physical. I mean, it, these are these are a bunch of players who are going to hit hard. Uh, linebackers are physical for that matter. Roquan now, uh, it, it's it's going to be somebody. It's it, you know, I, I agree that you can't have. All 22 guys pretending they're Tom Brady and always need protection from the ref and are asking for a flag. You're just you you won't get it. Um, it used to be Richard Sherman would would have a hold or a pass interference once in a while. Yeah, he goes, yeah, they're gonna call it once in a while. You you can't get that. You can't call that every time. <laughs> and he's right. They they couldn't do it. He, he got away with a very physical style of play. Yeah, but there weren't any dirty kind of helmet to helmet shots. Like like I'm just you've just seen much dirtier games on both uh, from, from either team. Overall, which is why this one in particular surprised me. Anyway, yeah, two, two words for Bengals fans, the Bengals themselves, the Bengals management. Vontez perfect. Yeah. Okay. Vontez perfect. Get over it is what I yeah. say. Like, let's football. <laughs> All right. Let's continue a little bit with powers here. Three out of three on pulls in this game. One level, two block, two pancakes, uh, one highlight. By the way, his highlight was a great one. It was a screen pass. He pushed 58 aside past the play or past the point where he could impact the quarterback. Um, then he blocked. You may see your coworkers cracking open a can in your 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but it's most likely not beer. It's a new mountain spring water called Liquid Death. You've heard me talk about this many times. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. Plus, its infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to be a, bring a death to plastic bottles. Did you know plastic's not even really recyclable anymore? It ends up just going to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Meanwhile, aluminum is recyclable and profitable for recycling facilities. You guys know how much I love Liquid Death. It's in everything I do. I take it to work. I take it to the ball club. I take it when I'm out with the kids. I got them right here on my can- on my desk as I'm recording a podcast. I'm always with it. What's cool now is I'm seeing you guys on Twitter talk about how you're grabbing your cans and going to work. So send me those stories about what you're doing and how you're cracking open a tall boy in odd situations because, hey, it's water. And not only is it water, it's the best water that you can go out there and buy. It's cold. You can drink it with whatever you're doing. So going out there, Get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool by going to liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Reader at the line of scrimmage made it so he couldn't impact the play, and then he got into level two and blocked B.J. Hill. You do not see very often 
any offensive lineman getting to block three people, though what a couple weeks ago we saw a wide receiver blocking three guys. It was it was great and Green Bay, right? And he took yeah, like bowled out all three guys. Yep. It was great. <laughs> and, then, and then he sat there and he counted them. He which counted was them. Yeah, it was one great. of the great film moments of the year, no doubt about it. But uh, but you love to see multiple blocks like that. But the number of times that a, that offensive lineman for any team blocks three guys in one year might be about you know one per year per team of all the positions. And this was just this was a really nice play by Powers. Uh, overall, with the pressures though, a C, and uh, and that's just where he ends up. Great year. Uh, he's going to go to free agency. He's probably going to get a pretty darn big contract, and hopefully, we can be happy for him. And and it'll be a good compensation pick. Uh, and it might be Ben Cleveland is at that position next year. Yeah, and we're gonna you know we're just gonna need to see better overall play in this playoff game from the left side overall, mm-hmm. you know, and whether that's scheming them up to be more successful, whether that's more successful in, in what some of these things are. But again, you know, you get the, you get the mulligan where you get to see where, where some of those things were and and hopefully try and take advantage of that. But, you know, at the, at the middle, you know, Tyler Linderbaum is such a, such a controversial guy for the mm-hmm. Ravens. I think there were a lot of people that thought he was still too undersized, thought he had too short of arms, think the center is an under overvalued position that they shouldn't be drafting first. Any of this sound familiar to you, Ken? Yes. Um, <laughs> um, but I, you know, it's a guy again, kind of looking back at the year, been a solid performer overall, certainly taking his licks in a couple of moments, you know, as a rookie, as one is expected to do, but played almost the entirety of the season. Um, and, quite frankly, a lot better than we've seen from the center position, you know, the last couple of years overall from Linderbaum. You know, what did you see from him in this game? Yeah, well, I mean, you can start with that. The snaps have been terrific this year. So that's a, that's a really nice thing. He had a very solid game to, to finish the regular season. Um, the missing only two snaps for the year is terrific. I don't mean missing, misfiring on two snaps. He only, he only sat out for two snaps. Um, he did give up a full pressure to Reader in this game, another half share of another on a botched stunt handoff. That was him and Cleveland. So it, it there, there was multiple problems on that play. So I, I just do what I usually do on that and just share the uh, share the botching on that. Uh, he also held Reader on another play. So that's another one where he got beat, but uh, but it turned into a hold instead of something else worse, I guess worse. Um, he of his two. Uh, Missed blocks in this game, both were losses at the line of scrimmage. He had his worst game of the year last week, and he had eight blocks, and I think all of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. Uh, two out of two on poles, five blocks in level two, one pancake, two highlights. He had a combination block um, that is one fairly common, probably the most common type of highlight is he tees somebody up at the line of scrimmage, and then he moves to level two and makes a block. Uh, he also had a really interesting pass block where he took B.J. Hill, and he actually pushed Hill into Sample, who was otherwise unblocked weirdly weird situation in the pocket, but it kind of happened because he had lost a little bit of control to the left on Hill and had to push him across behind the left guard. And then it right into sample who got then uh, stymied as well by the, by the play. So it's kind of cool to see him end up blocking two players on that uh, B for the game for Linderbaum. And, you know, I've been over this so many times on the show, people don't need to hear it again, but if you have two players who just are so diametrically opposed in powers and Linderbaum powers, a, a great pass blocker who has been not a particularly great run blocker, a lot of problems with pulling. I don't know what the exact issue is because he seems to be athletic enough to do it. So there may be also tips going off. But you got the other side of the coin with Linderbaum. You've got a guy who's a, a, a great run blocker who can give you a lot of additional value in the run game, but just can't pass block. And, it, and sometimes it's been 
big guys, but really it's any one-on-one guy and any guy who can get long while stunting. So those have been the real problems for, for Linderbaum. They ended up being one of the worst graded for PFF for the entire year, fourth, fourth to the bottom, I believe, of centers who played at least 50% of the snaps. So, you know, the, the thing about PFF, before you get excited about their overall grade on Linderbaum, you have to realize they are making a combination of a run blocking and pass blocking score that is highly overweighted to run blocking. I believe the reason for that, if you really ask them, is that there is not enough pass blocking variation because pressure totals are so low for centers that they had to put more in a run blocking. So because of that, I would encourage you always to look at what Linderbaum has done exclusively on a pass and run blocking basis separately. And yes, he's been a fine run blocker. He's been everything we hoped. In fact, I think he's probably been more, particularly when include the snap, the snap quality as a run blocker. Um, he has not overcome his problems as a pass blocker, and that's made him a, a kind of a middle-of-the-road center in this league right now. Now, that said, that is a fantastic place to start. Nobody should be upset about that. All Ravens linemen, not all, but most Ravens linemen have improved from their first season. His first season's coming at a young age, playing as a as a all but two snaps as a rookie. Uh, he, he stands to still be on the cusp of the Pro Bowl at some point during his rookie contract. Yeah, no, you know, absolutely. And I think it's an interesting, it'll be interesting to see if he can bulk up a little bit more mm-hmm. during this offseason and whether or not that can make big strides. If he can just move to league average in terms of being a pass blocker, the the ceiling oh, yeah. rapidly rises for him. So it's a really big question of whether or not he can gain this. And a lot of it is strength, it seems, that especially as a trade-off to having the shorter arms. Um, just needs to have that strength without potentially losing some of that flexibility and his ability to get to the second level and speed. And if he can do that, I think, you know, the sky is the limit in some regards. If he can, you know, it's always good to have one thing that you're really good at to start with. You'd rather it be pass blocking probably um, than run blocking, regardless of the team and regardless of the format. But Mm -hmm. it's hard to be upset with that. When you look at a guy like Leonard Bauman Power, so I mean, I think they are the, they are uh, in combination one of the keys to this game. Oh yeah, Not that Hubbard and Hendrickson aren't good, but DJ Reader is phenomenal at stopping the run. That is also what the Ravens do best. They need to find a way to run it down his throat. And if you go back and watch the first Gus Edwards carry of this this past game in Week 18, it was a double team from Leonard Baum and Powers, and they ran right behind him and they ran it right at him. I would do that on the first 10 plays of the game that Reader was in. Even even if you're giving it away, wear him out, bully him, push him. He needs to be a guy that you're trying to to kind of really substantially take out of the game plan or take out of his game um, in this process. And even if that means, whatever that means giving up in that process, I think the Ravens cannot let DJ Reader be the guy that ultimately beats them in the run game defense in this game. Okay, well, here's here's one more wrinkle the Ravens can throw into their game plan that certainly wasn't in there in, in week 18 is use a sixth offensive lineman, Cleveland, tuck him and tuck him on the left side. And I don't care whether you tuck him inside tackle or you tuck him inside guard, but imagine that the two of them, Powers and and Cleveland, on whoever, whether that's Hill, Reader, it's not going to be sample, but but Hill, Reader, Carter, you know, all, all the other guys that could potentially be. Uh, that that's a that's a, that would be an imposing pair to have to face. Seven hundred pounds of you know human being <laughs> across the line of scrimmage from you. Uh, it's it's a significantly more than you know seventy pounds more than you probably get when when it's Linderbaum and and uh, and whatnot. And that ten percent probably makes all the difference. 
And even if it's not Cleveland, you know, that can, you know, and I advocated on the prior podcast that everybody should make sure that they go and download that mm-hmm. they, uh, that, it, that they should have four tight ends. And that can be a tight end behind there too. That can be likely, that can be Kolar, can even be Josh Oliver, yeah. who has gotten much better as a blocker this year overall. I'm just not letting, you know, DJ reader, especially during on run called run plays, be the guy that's going to blow it up. If someone else is going to beat me in those situations, so be it. But he's the guy that I am not going to let blow it up, especially because he's coming from the interior. And he's so effective at kind of stopping the run for Cincinnati, because when you can stop things from the interior, it really does wreak havoc yeah. on everything you're trying to do in the play. Yeah, it's it's that's a great point. You, you we you, we talked in the first episode about Anthony Brown wanting to only look at half the field because he just doesn't have the ability to go through his reads very effectively. There is something else that he, you need to show the whole field in order to make the half field effectively because you can't let all the defenders you know go over there, obviously. But but in the case of of Reader, when he penetrates through an A gap um, to, to break down a play, that bifurcates the the run in the worst possible way. It's a lot worse than say an edge defender doing his job well. Edge defender does his job well. There's still several gaps that the that the running back can choose. Um, he's he's only really closed off the outside, which is which is significant. But it's but it's not bifurcating the way the field is by having somebody drive two yards into the backfield like Reader can, and then potentially have other players come behind him. The running back gets stalled even for a second, which is going to obviously blow up the play if that happens. And yeah, I agree. I don't think they can let Reader beat them in the run game. I think they have to find a way to attack him. And uh, and it'll be fun to see where they try. It may mean slower releases to level two for Linderbaum. If he has to be involved in that block with Powers, spend more time getting him off his pins, getting him off balance before Powers takes over that block. So. And anyway. and that's exactly what happened on that first play of the game. If you go back and watch it, it was it was it was not any kind of release coming from Linderbaum. It was a two man. Mm-hmm. Let's block DJ Reader. Let's run it right at him. Um, you know, and see what happens. And you know, you talked a little bit about what a sixth lineman could look like. I mean, I think we both agree that if if there is a guy that's going to be that sixth lineman, it's probably likely to be Ben Cleveland. You don't want to you don't want to risk Pat McCarty and and what he brings kind of from a fill-in perspective overall though Falele might allow that to be Macari but if it's been Cleveland you know, did we see did we see anything from Cleveland in this game that says that he's going to be the guy or he's going to have a big role you know you know uh I I, I we again at the topic we talked about the first thing I think Ben Cleveland is in there to to beat the other team up I think that's the reason you put him in there you, you rest Zeitler did Zeitler really need a week of rest I don't know maybe you know, he's a veteran. He's obviously hasn't been playing all the time. I don't know what Zeitler's future is. I, I He's under contract for next year. I bet the Ravens would love to have him, but I don't know if he's planning after this game or after some point in the future, whenever the playoffs end, to, to, to hang it up. Uh, definitely a possibility. But uh, he got the start at right guard. Um, he looked exceptionally slow on polls to me, uh, just ponderously slow. And this is it's unusual because Cleveland is a good athlete. And, and he's, you know, he's got better long speed than any of the other linemen except for Linderbaum. And, and it's not really even close. Uh, even Stanley who has quickness isn't in Cleveland's class as a runner. And that may have been, you know, combine 343, 27 pounds ago, kind of Cleveland who's now listing at 370 in the Ravens uh, uh, roster. But it, I, I think that, you know, he, he really is not showing anything like the athleticism that we had seen. I think he probably still has some of the processing visible. I honestly see a little less of that out of powers than I see out of Cleveland powers does a lot of, okay, here's the thing. You know how they tell you to, to, to cross the street when you're a little kid, you look left, look right, then left again. And then you go, 
because the car coming from the left is going to come first. And so you want to check left, go right, check left. So, but when you're, when you're in pass protection, you don't have all that processing time to go right, left, right, left kind of thing to figure out what's going on. You need to process from right to left and do it and then get over on that help block on the tackle. And that's where, where powers has been a little bit slow this year. Not, not as good as I would have hoped. I mean, Cleveland, I think I see more of that out of him and I'm hoping that he, uh, he can be that guy. And, and I, I, you know, he's not an ideal left guard because of what I've seen from him as a puller. He might be more ideal right guard to replace Zeitler next year. Uh, that's a lot, uh, sorry, in 24, but that's a, that's a long way away. Or if, or if Zeitler retires, it's still going to mean a downgrade at right guard too. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they handle Ben Cleveland next year. But at the very minimum, I expect him to be kind of the, expected incumbent at left guard if they do not have a draft pick is I get I, I think how I would say it a little more on what he did in this game two and a half pressures uh one of those was a pass offense by 95 that's Carter right I think it is um he was bold by Hill he botched us on handoff as I talked about earlier that was shared with Linderbaum eight missed blocks four of those were losses at the line of scrimmage that's good when Cleveland is not you know, having all losses at the line of scrimmage, but three of those were missed polls. He was six of nine on those. Uh, polls were primarily from right to left in this game. And it's kind of reminded me of a preseason game a few years ago where Nico Siragusa came back from that horrible, horrible injury. It was his first playing time back. And they they, they put seven polls in a 50-snap outing in a preseason game. Think about that. How many, how many linemen play 50 snaps in a preseason game? Yeah. And, and, and he had seven of them were polls. And they're obviously trying to get an evaluation on this player. I think that's some of what they're trying to do with Cleveland was see, can he pull quickly enough? And unfortunately, that's a part of this game that I think it didn't really go well enough for him. Just visually on those nine plays, I don't think he's up to the task of, of being a pulling guard. And that's now, that's a pretty serious problem for a guy whose only position is guard to really not be able to pull. He could, he'd be a better right guard than left guard again, but, but it's, it's a serious, serious issue. Three blocks in level two, zero pancakes, two highlights, a C for the game out of out of Cleveland. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the one of the things that I think most about, especially when you say were they, you know, were they trying to find out what they got from Cleveland in this game? I think that again is telling us that there, there may be some early signals that the blocking schemes and what the Ravens are going to try and throw at Cincinnati in this game are going to look different in the wild card game than they were in week 18. Mm-hmm. Um I think one of the other things that I I note that that just comes to mind as you've been talking about some of these pools is that Cincinnati knows how the Ravens like to pool. They see this all the time. They've watched it on tape now for four years. I'm sure that there are some tendencies and some indicators and some things that they're keying on, um, in particular that when it comes to pools. And if the Ravens are going with their standard set of pools for straight evaluation purposes, then they certainly weren't going to be able to be more likely to connect in this game. You know how much of that is a giveaway? How much of that is tough evaluation? How much of that is that you want to see Cleveland hit those blocks anyway um, and be able to connect on them? Um, you know, it makes it it makes it a little hard to tell. It's kind of like watching a preseason game where the starters are still in and you're seeing the second or third stringers in for the other team, and it's like, okay, you know, what are we really? If we're trying to use it as an evaluation tool, what does that really tell us? Especially yeah. from a especially from the preparation standpoint, that 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 added layer, at least in preseason games, you get the it might be second string versus third string, but there's a lot less game preparation and film preparation for this approach. Um, yeah. So I think that's an interesting, you know, whether or not that makes a difference for Cleveland, who knows. Um, but, I, you know, and looking at right tackle, you know, Moses was a guy that I was surprised play, was, was playing in this game. For a guy that mm-hmm. missed 
some snaps in a prior game for, I, I think right tackle or tackle in general is important. Um, and to put him back out there, play him for almost the entirety of the game, um, obviously speaks volumes to what the Ravens think his health level, health level. And he thinks his health level is at, but it did surprise me a little bit to see him on the field as much as it, as a, as he was given the injury earlier. Now they all have been a little dinged up. So obviously McCary has had his injury problems, including some recently we've had Moses has had, Little things, but the the bicep, I'm not sure if it was really much of an injury or a tweak, but it was really an ineffectiveness thing in the previous week where it caused him to get pulled at the end of the game. I think it was really a benching, honestly. And and Stanley's had an assortment of issues this year. So so the problem is the Ravens don't have enough total tackles. So would you have put Falele in for for some of the game and seen him at right tackle? Say yeah, I, or or even all the game if only if you were worried about Moses again. If Moses's health is intact enough and you're comfortable with it, so be it. But I, mm-hmm. you know, again, if if you were willing to rest Seitler, who missed a game earlier in its entirety and obviously looked super banged up there for a minute, so maybe that's more understandable. Um, but for a game, the Ravens obviously weren't trying to win. Um, you know. Luckily, it didn't burn them here. But, uh, you know, like we've talked about, a whole week of extra rest for an NFL player can go a really, really long way. Yeah, I I agree. And it was one of the nice prospects of how they might have played this playoff game was play it in Cincinnati, but play it after Cincinnati has to play another game the previous week to try and fight for the number one seed would have been a sweet, sweet bonus. And I think it was one of the things, one of the reasons why the NFL basically said that really wouldn't be fair either. To, to to have them play the game on that uh on that basis. Uh a little bit about Moses. He, he had down finish in this game to a solid year, played 68 of the snaps, uh, one pressure, one quarterback hit, half a sack, and an offensive holding. So he kind of uh pass blocked for the cycle, as I say, had one on each mistake. Uh eight missed blocks, three of those only were losses at the line of scrimmage. So that's a good percentage to have that. Um four level two blocks, two pancakes, five of nine on pulls. Moses has been absurdly effective as a level two and pulling run blocker. So he got one, one of the nine pulls he got as a courtesy point where he's the trailer on a two man pull on a counter play effectively. And as long as he runs his track, doesn't pass up a block that he should have had and doesn't, doesn't whiff on a block and doesn't get in the way. As long as he runs his track, he'll get that point. Even if he doesn't make a block. Okay, so he had one of those. He really would have been four out of eight on the other ones. Um, he had been nine out of nine in one game where he made every single one of those blocks without a courtesy point. And you know his blocks, when he gets to the other side and he finds the guy to block, he's very effective, very decisive in terms of getting to a guy. And he, and he, he gets to the center of mass very effectively. So whatever his technique is, we heard Ben Powers talk about this a little bit on air about you know looking at the top of the right number, whatever he has to do, to find that guy's center of mass. He's very effective at it. It helps to be wide like him, I guess, too. But but he's, he's extremely effective at getting to that, that center of mass. And um, I hope we see more from him in the playoffs. I hope this is not any kind of residual nature to some injury that might have been left. And I think, you know, one of the things that has stood out to me about Moses and an adjustment, again, to credit the Ravens that we I don't feel like we saw as much of this in this game. Part of it was that they were there weren't quite as many pulls overall. but some of the the Ravens teams seem to have figured out when the Ravens were pulling that they could send somebody in from the backside who could come in clean and take away plays. And there were probably, I want to say six or seven plays when Kenyon Drake was the main running back for the Ravens that were taken out from that backside that were blocked up tightly on the front side. And that Kenyon Drake 
very good at taking exactly what is blocked up for him. If mm -hmm. it's clear yep. and obvious where he needs to go, that's when he's successful. Those runs were really close to happening, making sure that the Ravens are sealing up on whatever backside is to the front side pool of Moses, I think will be a big influence in this game overall, because it doesn't seem like Cincinnati wanted to overcommit to do what Pittsburgh did against Baltimore, at least in this game. And that, and that's certainly something that could be a thing that Cincinnati changes from this game, which is giving the six defensive linemen or the heavy outside linebacker looks, putting every a guy in every single gap and saying, hey, go ahead. We dare you try and run the ball. Um, we didn't see that here. If we don't see that again, keeping integrity on the backside of those pool plays is going to be one of the most important parts, I think, for the Ravens running. They, they they can do a lot to to fix that up. It's definitely could be a point of emphasis this week with with regard to the heavy personnel. And I don't think Cincinnati even has the personnel to do it, honestly, like Pittsburgh does. But if they were to try and um, do something like that against Anthony Brown, I think they'd probably be shooting themselves in the foot. Anthony Brown actually can push the ball down the field. Part of the things that made it effective against Huntley is he wasn't any threat at all to throw the ball down the field. And it became more and more apparent as the game went on that Pittsburgh said, oh, well, then we're sticking with that. <laughs> and, and so it, uh, it, it, it was very effective against him. But if, if Brown plays the game, uh, I, think, I think, you know, anything other than the Bengals dropping, you know, seven to cover is probably a favor they're doing to the Ravens, frankly. Right. And especially if it allows Mark Andrews to be in any kind of one-on-one situation. Yeah. I mean, if, even in zone, I mean, you know, if, if Mark Andrews is not perfect in terms of, of handling the football and Brown certainly isn't perfect in placing it. So if the ball's off target, you know, you have predators back there for the Bengals. Jesse Bates is one of the best ball Hawks in the league. And he showed it on what the, about the, about the first pass of the second pass of the game against, uh, against Brown there. So it was a terrible throw. <laughs> it, was, it was a horrible throw. And, and, and that's what I love about a loose bracket safety is exactly what Bates did on that play. I mean, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't do enough for the patience of, of, of a player like that. I think Bates, I, I don't know if he's signed by the Bengals now or I, I, earlier in the year, I think they were projecting the Bengals guy was projecting that they were going to lose him at the end of this year. I, so I, I'm not sure if he's a free agent now or still, or if they signed him during the year at some point, but uh, he's a great player. And, and Bon Bell's a, another one of those guys yeah. that is, is it Bon Bell or is that a basketball player? Bon, bon Bell, number 24. Okay. Yeah. Um, and another guy that's just really opportunistic when, overthrows and balls in his area to make them mm -hmm. turn them into turnovers. And the Ravens, regardless of who is in at quarterback, have to be careful about that. You know, Lamar has struggled in looks against that kind of thing, both against Pittsburgh and against Cincinnati, um, you know, as well in some of those situations historically. So, you know, whether it's Lamar or Brown, it's going to need to be tight. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A D for Moses with or without adjustment, honestly, was in the low 60s uh, uh, without adjustment. I did give him a decent adjustment for playing against Hubbard, who's a, a quality uh, end, of course. But uh, but that uh, was not a good finish for Moses, who's had a, an up and down year a, a little bit and not up and down in a terrible way. It's been more up than down. Uh, certainly has, has really helped the Ravens. I think he's been a, a very good signing. Just his overall grade hasn't been particularly outstanding for the entire season. Hopefully he was just mirroring Ronnie Stanley's attempt to be vanilla in, in his fast <laughs> strategy. Like, I'm going to be a terrible puller in this game. Boy, that'll fool him. <laughs> All right. Two, two guys played in relief only. I want to talk about him real quickly. McCary made five of his six blocks in relief. Falele, four of five uh, at the end of the game. Not a lot to draw from that. And I, I, it requires 20 snaps for me to give anybody a grade. So they did it okay. Nothing, nothing special to say about that. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully those aren't guys that we're seeing on the field in the wild card game. Wouldn't that be nice? 
wouldn't that be nice if they, if they did? Or if they did, it's only as a sixth offensive lineman, which in which case either of them could be kind of interesting. Just or a big or a big blowout. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want a big blowout in one direction, which is the more likely way, unfortunately. <laughs> but but uh, well, I think they wouldn't come in in that circumstance. I think you're still running your starters if you're chasing. It's only you're pulling your offensive line starters if you're way up. Not let's, go, let's go with that. Uh, let's go with that. <laughs> Uh, this is the part of the show where we talk about some some other skill position players. Uh, Jordan, you're the guest. Take us take us to the first guy. I mean, we've got to start with Demarcus Robinson, who just you know, and and my hope is, geez, and I, I'm not trying to make this seem like he was doing it on purpose, but that he can get his head on right and get focused for this game because he was he had such a poor game in this last one, right? Like his hands were particularly terrible. There were a couple of decisions on routes that I thought that he didn't seem to either run through or make the right decisions. Just got to get tight on that. I, I've long been an advocate that the Ravens need to give their wide receivers a little less flexibility in some of these routes, give a little bit more intentionality to the quarterback. So he knows where they're going. If it's not there, just eat it and live, live with the results of what that looks like. Um, but hopefully a really, really bad game from Demarcus Robinson results in him really getting focused for this week and bringing something to the table because he can be in like, was it, which game was it um, where he had like eight or nine catches was yeah. really focused, really important part of the offense. We've seen games where he can have that kind of impact. It's very possible that the Ravens are going to need that kind of performance from one receiving threat. That is not Mark Andrews in this game. Be really nice. If it was Demarcus Robinson. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, there has to be somebody. Watkins had a had a really good, dangerous game in this. Did some things as a receiver that 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 are nice. But I agree that uh, that Robinson needs to needs to come back and needs to be the closer coming out of this. It was not all his fault, by the way. Balls were way behind him a lot. Uh, there were some other receivers. It was pretty much all their fault, but uh, but not in not in Robinson's case. And and you go two for nine on a day. That's just that's a really low batting average for a receiver to have. You know, when you're supposed to really bat. 670 or thereabout, you know, or, or, you know, even if you're, if you're running a lot of deep routes, you still want to bat about 570. Uh, that's, this, this is not acceptable under any route tree set opportunity set that you want to talk about. So uh, yeah, he needs to come back from that. I'll talk about Sammy Watkins a little bit uh, moving on forward for this. Cause I thought he, he did some good things. The, the back shoulder throw, which seemed to be pretty tightly covered down the right sideline uh, was a really nice grab. Uh, you know, obviously you'd, you'd rather, he didn't fumble the football, uh, and, but he had a couple, you know, a couple long grabs, some, some yak that was, that was done. And in, in one case before the fumble, um, and, and it's just, uh, unfortunate. That's the way it worked out again. Another guy who needs to take a closer mentality, um, you know, hopefully bring some explosiveness to the offense in terms of what he's, what he's done the last couple of weeks. Just you talking about, so I think Watkins adds a layer. The familiarity with the Ravens offense is helpful. I, I think that he's a guy that could beat that guy um, in this game. I, the secondary option to whatever is contributed from Andrew's perspective, they've got to figure mm -hmm. out what that's going to look like here. But you even saying that is just stunning to me that they only lost this game by 11, including four turnovers, including one which was converted to a touchdown without all the guys that we've talked about playing. I mean, the, like, I don't want to be overly, I'm not overly enthusiastic about this game. I don't think that the Ravens should be favored to win this game. But when you add those kind of things up where, you know, the one big play that, you know, maybe that puts the game back within range, the turnover that turns into a touchdown, Anthony Brown drive killing immediately <laughs> with regularity at the end of the first half, you know, do you take all those away and just replace those with running plays? Um, 
just by their own nature <laughs> and and turn those into punts. And, you know, it just makes you wonder how much closer this game ultimately could have been, especially if you you let the Ravens defense stay off the field. Ball control can be such a critical part of this. And that's why these turnovers from and it wasn't Robinson's fault, mm-hmm. unlike Watkins, but these turnovers from the wide receiver position and Prochet is guilty of this as well because he turned he turned a first down into a punt um is they're critical because they keep the defense off the field they allow you to be able to be nuanced of what you're trying to do with burrow not give him away too much and not give him all these opportunities to you know when he does he's going to miss a couple throws no one's perfect and you know don't give him too many opportunities to beat you you want to talk about Prochet too you kind of yeah so you know james Prochet, he'll be a guy I'll, i'll take james Prochet. He's a guy that really feels like the Ravens have just not figured out how to use. I think that for the most part should not be blocking because <laughs> he's terrible at blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, should mostly be used in the middle of the field, mostly be used for his hands. He should be running to a spot in his own. He should be running slants. He should be used as a possession receiver. And yet the Ravens move him all over the place, use him on the boundary, use him as a blocker. And he has these boneheaded plays, mm-hmm. um, which is unfortunate. So I, I think it's a I think it's a combination of the Ravens not maximizing what seems to be most clearly his talent, which is use him in the slot, in and out, and use him as a possession receiver. But you also can't be running out of bounds on a play where you're wide open and you and it wasn't like he stepped on the line. I mean, both feet ended up going out of bounds. It was and I, it was I not a good play on his part. At that point, with the quarterback rolling out to that side, he's he's got a very fixed set of rules he's working on. The very first set is get to the sideline, come back to the quarterback. Those are just like the two things he has to do. And Brown put the ball on the money for one of the times the whole day. And so, it, it, you know, it was very catchable ball. He, 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 he was completely within structure. Just unbelievable mistake to, to go out of bounds there. It's, it's one that does not frequently happen to an nfl receiver you don't see that call that penalty calls very rare when it does happen it's usually a matter of the cornerback forcing the player out of bounds uh-uh not here this was all on the receiver you know managing to just lose track of the sideline dan orlovsky safety kind of level play and you've just yeah. gotta and again and hopefully you know I would love to see the Ravens do this and narrow some of these guys' roles. If you're if if you're not going to ask a lot of James Roche, have a package of five plays where yeah. he like this down in situation X, Y, and Z just happened. We want to bring in a guy who's going to do something as the counter to that. Use him that way. And if those plays don't happen, don't put him on the field because I think that when when out of structure or when a lot of things are going on, there's is it, right now that's not a successful model for James Roche to be a successful wide receiver. Hopefully they can narrow that down. You, you make a great point there in general, is that we're going to know very quickly from the first 15 or 20 plays against the Bengals and the scripting of this, what the Ravens held back. So do they run some play action concepts? Great. Do they do they want to throw the ball to Ricard for some reason? Which could, it, it could work. They may have some matchup that they really like Ricard on to get an eight-yard play. Remember the Super Bowl 47, the very first play of the year was Vontae Leach running a, a route very first play of the Super Bowl, Vontae Leach running a route. He never run the whole season. He ran a, a flat route, and that was it. That was his entire route repertoire the entire year. And all of a sudden, <laughs> he went eight yards down the field. He makes a catch on first down in the in the Super Bowl. Uh, it was it was a shocker. So we're, we're going to be able to look at those scripted plays, and we're going to say, "Hey, what's Roman really doing differently in this game to try and scheme some guys open? Maybe some different run concepts, but they you know they've run a lot of those. It might be harder for us to detect if there's a truly new run concept there." 
but with some passing concepts, it, it could be if we see play action, that's going to be different. If we see any kind of trickery with a, uh, you know, a, a handoff and throwback kind of thing situation, which, by the way, if they do that with Anthony Brown, I, I really uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's going to I just don't have a lot of faith it's going to work, but it, at least it would be trying. At least it would be trying something. Look, I, I think we'll see trick plays in this game. Yeah. I think we'll see more aggression on fourth down. Like I think, it, you know, obviously in. Yeah. It wasn't a must-win game for the Ravens. That fourth and five in, you know, in the same situation, the Ravens are going to be going for it, um, you know, in that regard. And and so I, I think it'll be – it's an interesting – it's an interesting part to see what's going to happen. But I do think – I mean, empty the vault, whatever you want to call it, I, I'm optimistic that, that that's the approach we're going to see this week. I, I got one player we have to talk about is Charlie Kolar because he had his first game. It was a very good game uh, in, in most ways. I mean, he's obviously he's playing under difficult circumstances – uh, by not having you know a top quarterback throwing to him, still catches four out of six balls. Uh, was was right there to catch each of the throws. I'm trying to think if there's any that like sailed over his head. There's one contested catch that he wasn't able to come down with that would have been a good one. Uh, ends up getting 49 yards on this place, which is which is good. Showed some yak ability in the game, which I liked. Um, he was for the most part i think one of the one of the incompletes was actually a little bit behind him and that actually caused the 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 uh, ball not to be collected but but the other balls were fairly much on the money and and kolar was actually able to catch within frame which is what we really drafted him for that was the reason he's with a baltimore raven right now um i i'm positive coming out of this game about kolar for 23 i'm not 100% sure he plays this week you we talked a little bit in the first episode is do you activate four tight ends I'd like to see him play. I think what we got from a result from him would be better. I would, you know, I think Prochet is active most likely because of special teams activity or one of Prochet and Wallace or, you know, obviously they both wouldn't be inactive, but, you know, Kolar's, Kolar's spot is in da- more in danger due to a special teams position, I think, than it is kind of his role on the offense. But I think he brings something, you know, you get not, not just because of his number, but you get real Dennis Pitta vibes where, you can let him go up one-on-one, run him on the seam. You know, the, the Ravens seem to never run four verticals anymore. But, you know, if you ran a four verticals type play that was Demarcus Robinson really kind of cutting it loose, likely Andrews and Kolar, you're going to have a post-up opportunity, you know, especially if it's Lamar back. <laughs> Knock on wood, if it's yeah, Lamar no. back, you have a post-up opportunity. One of those guys is going to have a, a window to throw into for a guy that is as good as throwing as Lamar is. So, so four verts, you need you need one of two things. You either need to have a a quarterback who could be his own checkdown, or you need to have a running back who's Ray Rice esque in terms of his ability to get out of the backfield. Really has a good sense of timing with the quarterback. I don't know that anybody really has that with Lamar right now. Uh, I, I I am ninety five percent sure that nobody really has it with Brown right now. Uh, to 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 take a dump off and make something happen after the catch. And Rice had that. Dobbins, in theory, could could have that, but it's not the space on the field where Dobbins can help you most. I think Dobbins 2020 was that guy in spades. I think Dobbins 2022, the long speed issues are still there, and it's his ability to cut through that first hole that's really special and can help the Ravens, not anything about yards 10-plus on the field. And I, I, like in some instances, you've just got to say, we're going to run this passing concept. We're going to go wider. We're going to run vertical to give ourselves space. If it's not there, whoever is a quarterback, and if it's an injured Lamar that's not 100%, or Anthony Brown, or Tyler Huntley, that just has to eat the sack and doesn't try and force it. And Anthony Brown tried to force 
several throws that he shouldn't have tried mm-hmm. to in this past game. Just eat the sack, punt the ball, let the defense get the ball back and and do your job in those situations. But I, I could see where three vertical guys, even if it was just the tight ends and likely Andrews and Kolar, is you're going to get a matchup issue somewhere yeah. on, from a size perspective. Um, and the spacing, the nice part about verticals is you get that spacing. So since everybody is running up the field, you can kind of throw it to the left or throw it to the right or throw it behind a guy that you know is a void in that space. And if you've got the bigger body in the space, like Kolar does in the hands that we saw at least, I don't know. It just it's 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 something that we haven't seen <laughs> very much of this year. But you know, I think that there's an opportunity for it this week. All right. Well, hope, hopefully Lamar's back and they're able to have that in the playbook. And even if they don't have have Lamar back, at least they've got the arm necessary to get the ball down the field, which is which is something nice. I mean, that'll that'll be different. I it, it, something we talked about in the first episode a little bit. Jordan is a lot more sure that Lamar's going to play. I think it's more likely probably that that Brown is the guy. None of us want it. We all want Lamar to play, but <laughs> I just think I just happen to think it's more likely that Brown is the guy in this uh, in this first game. Well, I think it's more likely that Lamar is going to play, but we can also talk about Isaiah Likely, who I think you know is emerging as kind of the potential X factor for Mark Andrews. And it's just it's so interesting to me that not enough look the Rob Gronkowski Aaron Hernandez iteration of what the Patriots were able to do on offense is something with Andrews and Likely that is not completely far fetched for what the Ravens can accomplish. It doesn't have to be the same look and the same iteration and the same offense at that, but the same concept of, we talked a little bit about what does it look like to go no huddle? Okay, what does it look like if, let's even leave Kohler out of the equation. Let's say he doesn't play, but Oliver, likely Andrews on the field together with Ricard and a running back or a whatever it or whatever that looks like. You're heavy one play, you're no mm-hmm. huddle the next play, you're wide, at least at the snap. If you've got that advantage and you've got the body up space from Andrews or likely in the slot or outside, you take it. If not, you bring everybody back in and you run the ball again, right? Or you bring everybody back in and then you bring everybody back out and do something. There are a lot of options that can happen if you're willing to use likely in that regard. Two weeks ago in Pittsburgh, we saw him be effective in in a five-wide situation where you've given him space to put a move on a guy. They don't know if he's going to go left or right. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's been effective in that route. We saw much better hands from likely in this game. Hopefully that is the step forward for him to not have some of these key drops because he's had a couple of big drops this year. Yeah. It, it hasn't been a great year for likely in a lot of ways, but you know, what was nice is that he got 13 opportunities in this game. And if you look at the previous five games combined, he only had 14 total targets. So uh, good to see him get some opportunities. Good to see him make something out of the yardage in this, in this particular game. And I, I'm positive on what can happen with likely. I would like them to face the, the Steelers, you know, jumbo formations again, where they only had three um, three defensive backs. I I would stick in, uh, you know, twenty two personnel just to try and test their uh, defensive backs in that situation. I mean, obviously, if if you're if you're going to seriously set up a likely Andrews and Robinson or or Watkins on a on a uh, on three different defensive backs, I think that's that's a huge risk to take. Um, but they just couldn't get it done with Huntley. He couldn't throw the ball down the field. And I'm okay in some of those situations of run, run, run. <laughs> Again, we kind of talked about it. It's like you don't have to force the issue. You are good at running the ball. Give your guys, you know, give J.K. Dobbins the opportunities to kind of make, you know, he's been really great at exploiting the hole when it's there. And right. so that, so volume is, and this is part of what happened with the, in the Titans game. I've, I've talked about this a couple times now over the two podcasts. For the Titans-Jaguars game, 
they Derrick Henry had 3.5 yards per carry, I think. Something something below four overall in the game. But they kept the Titans in the game. They kept them in short down and distances on third downs. It kept them it kept them from turning the ball over, quite frankly, which is ultimately the reason they ended up losing the game. Um, and so if you have Anthony Brown, I think you really have to take a look at staying heavy in that 22 personnel, pounding the rock in the first half, and making it seem like you're overly committed to the run. Wrinkle in late in the second quarter of the play action. Stay in 22 personnel and open it up from a passing perspective. There's there's a lot of things that you can do with that that could be successful that shorten the game and keep possessions in the Ravens' favor. Right. The 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 Bengals will not do the the same favor that the Steelers did in terms of playing light on defensive backs to allow even 22 formations, which could be turned into receiving formations, to say likely in Andrews into situations where where the Ravens can exploit their secondary. They they won't do it. I mean, they'll they'll rush four, they'll drop seven. Um, you know, they, they, it won't be a, a you know, the kind of gift that the Steelers potentially gave the Ravens and that they were not able to accept. Um, you know, <laughs> appropriately. It was just that, that was a, a frustrating game of the highest order that uh, you know, they they it play a Steelers unit. They potentially have them you know, in a position where they could wear them all down. The way they're 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 on the field all the time. They're, you know, the defensive line requires rotation, and you know if you can if you can grind out first downs against somebody who's playing a you know a, a jumbo formation against you, you're gonna you're you're gonna dominate that football game, but uh, it just it could not get the ball out effectively out of Huntley's hands. Uh, I think we are gonna be too late here for the mailbag here. Let me just see if there's anything really good that we just have to get to because boy, we wouldn't want to miss it. Um, we did have some good questions from earlier today. Here's a good one about about general roster building. And this is from uh, I'm not going to try and uh, and say your name, but Itamar perhaps, uh, and I can't pronounce his last name, so I'm not going to try. Um, at films or, or uh, given the cap allocation to Roquan, how do the Ravens address CB2 with Peters being a free agent? Is re-signing possible? Free agency drafted rookie doesn't seem ideal even with round one. So comment and a question there. How would you respond to that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it, it's going to potentially be a struggle. You know, I, I do think that Marcus Peters wants to stay in Baltimore. I think he likes the environment here. I think he likes the team here. I think there's an opportunity for an aging vet to give a bit more team friendly structure to stay here, particularly if Lamar is here. And I think that's the big question for the Ravens in this offseason is going to be, is Lamar going to stay? And whether it's short term or long term, and whether that will persuade some veterans like Justin Houston this year, as an example, to be able to take a little bit less. Now, it could be a longer contract for Peters, but less from a cap hit in 2023 to be able to squeeze them in if that's something that they're going to need to do. Yeah. All right. I, I think I, I think it's actually very unlikely that Peters will be back. I, I think it's a combination of quality of play as well as uh, what he is. But, you know, he's young enough and he could come back healthy next year. Um, this, this team is not ideally suited to move Marcus Peters to safety in a lot of ways. He's not even an ideal free safety because he's not that kind of a hitter all the time, but he is a, he is a ball hawk and, and that would make him exciting to some team to perhaps play in that role. It might even be a team that, that would be willing to play him on not every down, uh, which would be an interesting, you know, change of career for him. To, to play, you know, 25% of the snaps, but he's effectively like a dime back, except he's a free safety doing it, you know, kind of well, thing. And there's lots of teams don't have a free safety. The thing about Marcus Peters, though, is that it seems as though some teams don't want him on their team. 
the, the Ravens, I felt like got him at a great value overall mm -hmm. when they traded for him. It made no sense to me when Kansas City got rid of him for a guy that was leading the league by a very wide margin at the time in interceptions. There's something, I, and I think it's personality with Marcus Peters that some people don't want that in their locker room. I think finding a home in Baltimore and loving what it's, it really seemed me to love it here overall maybe is is the discount enough to get it over the hump and maybe he's the last guy that signs in he's holding out for more money but if he's going to take less he finds a way to do it in baltimore i, I mean that's the only way he stays right player right place what's what's your number on him on eight let's say a two-year deal oh see i think if he stays it's going to need to be longer than a two-year deal that reduces his cap number to under let's say four million four million okay so I don't even know exactly what that might be, but maybe like right. some iterate, whatever iteration that looks like in number of years. And then, you know, and Kyle Hamilton complicates that, right? Because he, like you were saying, even if you did want to try and have Marcus Williams and Marcus Peters be safeties together, all of a sudden you've got this extra guy. Now, if he continues to be your corner and X factor guy in the way that they've had him, maybe, maybe you decide that's okay. Um, but I do think it's, it is a only right player, right price kind of situation. And, it, and it'll probably not be Marcus Peters ideal choice. But maybe maybe the market just never comes to fruition, especially given some struggles from him this year. Not a lot, he, but some. He's one of the guys uh, that is impacted by the Roquan deal. There's no doubt about it. That, that his his chance to be a Raven next year went down with this deal, and that's I'm sure I'm sure all players kind of look at that and say, "Oh my, oh." Lamar is not bothered by this. I don't believe he might be bothered by the fact that Roquan got his deal negotiated, but Lamar wasn't negotiating during season, so. You know, that's on that's on him to a degree as well. Um, in, in the case of Roquan, um, I, I think that Lamar probably is not that bothered by the fact that he got the deal, uh, other than he knows the Ravens have a little bit easier path to not that there would be any different decision on tagging him. And they, they have a clear mind of exactly what they're going to do with the other players. Uh, and, and that is it means that he's going to be tagged and and. The negotiations will end up there. I got one more question I want to get to, and then I'll, I'll let you go here. Um, Brad McGowan had a comment and a question. The first thing was, I enjoyed watching Brown firing it around on Sunday, making back shoulder throws to Watkins, giving likely chances down the field. Sure, he made some bad throws, and the wide receivers let him down several times, but it was nice to see him uh, give guys chances. I think it's all true, Brad. Very good stuff. I think we've, we've hit on some of that in this uh, in this show, but there's uh, there's definitely some good additions there. But here's the question. Um, do you think Roman just called a game with more downfield pass plays or are Huntley with a weak arm and sometimes Lamar often unwilling to take non-Andrews chances? So he's asking, Is was it Brown who decided to make some longer throws in this game and not uh, Roman's play calling? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, I, I think that the difference – is that Lamar adds a dimension to run the ball. So it's not that Lamar is not throwing the ball, but those opportunities are soaked up by the Ravens' decision to run the ball in exchange for that. I can't remember the last time, and I'm probably wrong about it. I can't remember the last time Lamar had 44 passing attempts. That number seems incredibly high for Lamar Jackson. And so in that sense, yes, it's, it's the play calling, but I don't think it's like pre-designed longer routes for Anthony Brown. I just think it's more passing plays resulting in more of those throws with Lamar, a uh, healthy Lamar Jackson. 
you're insane if you're throwing the ball 44 times a game. Yeah, and and with Jackson, they would be taking some deep shots too. They wouldn't necessarily they hit did, them, yeah. but they but they would. So yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Brad, thanks for the question. Thanks for everybody for their contributions to film study uh, mailbag. Jordan, wonderful to talk football with you. Two hours and 22 minutes. I'm seeing on the on the timer here flies by, but uh, but love talking with football with you, my friend. I hope we get to go to the game together in Cincinnati this weekend. We do have plans on on that. We're not sure if it's going to if it's going to work out for sure, but uh, tell folks where they can find your show and how to talk to you online. Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Raven Sit Room and my co-host Gabe Ferguson at Gabe Fergie. Um, we're on filmstudybaltimore.com with our podcast, um, The Situation Room. We're actually going to try and get a podcast in tomorrow night, Ken, where we're we're going to cover a little bit of the Ravens defense, what we think the counters from Mike McDonald could be based on what we saw from really good defensive performance in this game. But were there some giveaways from Joe Burrow situationally? You know, what what what, what the Ravens might be able to bring to the table that's different in this this week upcoming. All right. Uh, other folks out there, uh, we talked about film study shorts in the first episode. If, you, if you're if you trying to look and say, well, how can I support the show in some different word? We don't have a Patreon, but what we would like you to do is write a nice review. When you get a chance, you're listening two hours and 22 minutes in. We know you probably like the show. Let us hear it in some way. It helps uh, drive traffic to the show. It helps give people a nice review to look at. And a, and a recent one always is, is nice. So if you can take uh, 10 minutes out of your day or, or probably even three, uh, to write 50 words on that, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ken. I hope I'll talk to you real soon and next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.